Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are all doing well today. Hunting season is wrapped up, and so I thought I would have my friend Drew on to talk about, reflect on, and see what we could learn, takeaways from hunting season this way, or this from hunting season this year as we look to next year. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and uh, then I want to tell you a little bit about the giveaway we got going on, and we'll dive into the content for today. Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for a blessing upon it. Thank you for Drew and all the things I've learned from him over the last year or so about hunting and been just just a fun time and we pray for blessing upon this conversation and we trust that you're going to guide it in jesus name amen amen all right so drew before we get to know you again and i know that my listeners you've been on before i know you've been on gab i don't know if you've actually been officially on the podcast have you been on the podcast yet no this is my first time first time okay so this is the inaugural podcast for drew snyder today let's go yeah there we go it's exciting (laughs) yeah uh but banner of truth giveaway is going on so if you will follow the link in the show notes you can Check that out and uh, possibly be the winner of the John Calvin sermons on Job. So you want to check those out. Okay, Drew, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself then, family, and then what, what you're doing here in Carbondale. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Illinois. I grew up in a little town called Shelbyville. And public school, you know, I started hunting at a relatively young age, I guess. Uh, I got my first BB gun. When I was 10, and I started out like shooting sparrows, shooting robins, that you kind shoot of thing. Any squirrels with that? No, I didn't no, shoot just, any squirrels, just birds. Just birds. And um, it was kind of funny because I would shoot birds, and then my grandparents had this bird bath, and I would just stack them on the bird bath. And like, nice. these are my trophies that I got. And then I got into bow hunting um, through my uncle. Um, my dad didn't hunt, but as I progressed in hunting when I was a kid, he would take me out. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have a driver's license at that point. So that was really nice of him. Yeah. And um, my grandparents didn't really own that much timber. It was mostly just crop. So I had a little slice of woods to hunt on for private. But that was like the size of a soccer field. Okay. Pretty much. And then I found a lot of joy in hunting public land. Okay. So I primarily hunted public ground throughout all high school. And then once I graduated high school, I joined the Air Force. Okay. And then got stationed in Utah, which is where I hunted more public land. There's tons of public land out there. You got your elk out there? Yeah, I got an elk out there and then shot my first turkey Mm -hmm. on public land. What kind of turkey was that? That that was a Rio. A Rio. Yeah. Yeah. So that was awesome. And um, That's when you became a Christian as well. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in the church, um, and I really just had one of those, I guess, typical young man stories. Um, for people like me, like I just grew up in the church. I thought that salvation was just something that everybody really got. It was not that big a deal, really convenient Mm -hmm. and, um, fell away, like partied, did the whole high school scene. And then that progressed into my air force career. And it wasn't until 2020 is when God saved me and called me out. So you were out there and you moved here then. Yeah. In 2000, was it was it last? Was it 21? Yeah, was 2021 it is when fall? I moved here. Was it fall yeah, of 21? fall of 21. Okay, for the school. And yep. so your program then that you're part of Yeah, is... so right now I'm an undergraduate at Southern Illinois University pursuing uh, forestry mm-hmm. with a specialization in forest resource management because I love God's creation. I want to make sure that, 
it's there for mm-hmm. my sons and grandsons and their sons yeah. when I'm gone. It's the history of conservation in our country is pretty interesting because really it's one of the few things in government that you can look at and have objection or have a like objective standards to look at and say yeah. that's been pretty successful. I mean, you you think about the whitetail right. repopulation, you think about yeah, turkey repopulation, turkey. you think about where we were 50, 70 years ago to where yeah. we are today. It's pretty neat actually to see some of these species kind of grow back to healthy populations. It is really cool. And a lot of that has to do with the way men thought about conservation and wildlife through the years. Because when we started moving west, we had a different ideology about wildlife and conservation than we do now. So we didn't see, we saw resources as constantly renewable. Like never running out. The buffalo, we never, yeah, the buffalo, the buffalo never run out. Buffalo, timber, water, all that stuff we always thought was going to be renewable. But as population started to grow and resources became more limited, we realized that these resources aren't sustainable at this rate. So we yeah. have to do something to, to change it. And a lot of godly hunters and anglers came into play and made it better for us now. Yeah. My grandfather said that there were no white-tailed deer in Southern Illinois when he was growing up and even as he got yeah. older. Really until, I think, like 70s, 80s, in this region, did people really start seeing deer population really grow and expand? Yep. And, uh, so, I mean, almost completely extinct in this area yeah. until that repopulation effort of yeah, conservationists. The wild turkey and the white-tailed deer were almost completely extirpated mm-hmm. from the region. I mean, yeah. they were found in Kentucky, Missouri, all these different states. But Well, it's wild now because you see them everywhere. I mean, they're yeah. part of my season this year included being in my yard, yeah. <laughs> which we'll get to <laughs> in a little bit. That's the funny yeah. thing, but that's the fruit of hard work yeah which is really neat it's really neat to see yeah you know a couple years ago i wrote an article on the sovereignty of god and and conservation and you know it's it's really a wonderful thing to see god provided these animals and species and we are to take dominion and and part of the conservation efforts is the the you know like you said godly men and women and even just a recognition that this is valuable at large Mm -hmm. and at a society level and needs to be preserved needs to be taken care of is such an incredible thing. And now being able to even tell hunting stories is mm-hmm. a direct result from the, the, the work from decades. Right. You know, prior. It's, it's an interesting correlation between where we're at now and the creation mandate. Mm-hmm. Because we have a lot of people in society today that say we should just leave, if we leave nature to our own devices, to its own devices, then it'll take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at the creation mandate, the Christian standpoint, as well as a lot of other conservation standpoints, we can't leave it alone. Yeah. Right? Because God put us on earth to take dominion yeah. and to be essentially just gardeners mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah. And if that was the case pre-fall, then post-fall is that, you know, this creation that has, has built with, you know, it is regulated by God. Mm-hmm. It is orderly. And yet, there's something for us to work and keep, even to a greater degree, with these thorns and thistles, and through the sweat of our brow after the fall. So there's there's much work to be done. I mean, it's it's really endless. And and the thing is, you see that in the life of, even just you know your your yard is a good micro understanding of this. As you mow your yard, and then a week later, five days later, you know, especially if you're mowing Mm -hmm. in the spring, and there's a lot of rain, five days later, you're mowing your yard again. Yeah, and it's like that everywhere. If you if you don't take care of something. You see entropy, or atrophy, not how you've been saying entropy. You see, I'll have to edit this. Yeah. You see atrophy everywhere. Yeah. And that happens in nature as well. Right, yeah. I remember looking out at um, my grandpa's woods a few weeks ago 
when I've, I've started this project making a trail out there and he has this patch of honey locusts mm -hmm. and it's essentially like weeds and thistles and I'd relate that back to Proverbs mm -hmm. where the diligent man, his garden, his forest, whatever it may be, is going to have productive trees that's going to have productive plants and crops mm -hmm. in there. While the man who's slack, it's got weeds and thistles, it's not as productive. Yeah. And that's essentially what silviculture, what forestry is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. It's fun to think through. It's fun to actually see. You know, in your property, I was reading a book recently, and he was talking about how a man's property will tell a lot about a man. Yeah. And it ends up taking the character of the man. So you, you have square footage, you have land that God has entrusted, private property matters, and then your mm -hmm. land from your home to your actual dirt, grass, trees, woods, whatever, it ends up taking shape. And so if that property, you're exactly right, is overgrown, not taken care of, not productive, it tells you something about the man. Yeah. Whereas if the property is well-tended and you see that, for instance, if there is the, the Russian olive everywhere yeah. and that's been cleared, you can tell, okay, or or if it's just been allowed to take over, you can just tell a lot about the character of, yeah. of the man. And I think what you're doing and even your vision long-term, whether we get to, get to that or not, with with the possibilities up there, land management, that kind of yeah. thing, is uh, really exciting. It's 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 kind of invigorating to think about uh, taking something that is on you know you know in a place. I live in Carbondale and making it better. Mm -hmm. And you doing that for people. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, large scale and small scale. Yeah. So okay, let's talk hunting a little bit this season. You've been hunting yeah. for a long time. I've been hunting for a lot less. I've learned a ton from you. So Drew is is quite a bit younger than I am, and yet I've. I've done everything I can to learn what I can from him, and I've learned a lot. It's been good. Uh, talk about hunting season then. How was your 2022 2023 season? season? Yeah. yeah. Um, I told you this a few times throughout the season. It was one of my best seasons, but it was also one of my worst We'll start seasons. with best. Like, what was my the best, best season, what was the worst? Yeah. So, as far as scouting and doing my job as far as, like, knowing the terrain knowing when the hunters, other hunters were going to be utilizing the ground, um, knowing the plant community, knowing the deer behavior, stand placement, like all that without trail cameras, I thought I had down pretty well. Like I would consistently see deer. Um, I wouldn't consistently see mature bucks, but on heavily pressured ground, which is what it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time doing that when I was in high school. So I did notice some progress um, and identifying plant communities. I brought that up. I think that was one of the things that really changed the game for me. And like, yeah, taking my forestry classes, that helped. That's mm -hmm. something that some people might not have access to, but you can buy a tree ID book on Amazon for like five bucks. Yeah. So knowing the different oaks. Yeah, instance, knowing your different oaks. So like this October, we had a pretty decent oak crop, acorn crop, right? And knowing the difference between a white oak and a red oak really played an important factor in my when they strategy. Because when they drop their acorns, yeah. when deer and, and what deer like or prefer is important. Yeah, so they're going to drop their acorns relatively the same time. But deer are going to prefer white oak mm -hmm. over red oak because... White oak doesn't contain tannin, which is essentially a preservative that trees use to preserve acorn seed over a winter. So, so you're scouting early throughout the year, yeah. even spring, summer, so you're out shed hunting or morel mushroom hunting yeah. or something like that, keeping an eye out knowing where the white oaks 
Yeah. That's critical. Yeah. In the spring, like, early spring when you're scouting, don't just go off the leaves because they're not going to be there yet. So know your bark, all that kind of stuff. Like, basic woodsmanship skills that our grandparents had Mm -hmm. when they're out there hunting. So scouting played a really um, big part in my success this year. Um, And also knowing when the hunters were going to be there. I mean, shotgun season... I mean, the place is going to be loaded, mm-hmm. right? And then knowing where to go as well. Because we live here in Carbondale. There's a lot of public yeah. around town. Right. Like Crab Orchard. Mm-hmm. I know that's going to be heavily populated mm-hmm. because it's right next to Carbondale. Right? Yeah. But there's an also another piece of property that I won't mention that's just north of town. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when everyone comes to southern Illinois, they want to hit the Shawnee. Yeah. Right? I want to hit the refuge. Have you been down to in between Little Grassy and Devil's Kitchen? There's like yeah. 6,000 acres down there. No, I haven't. It's That's good ground down there, too. Yeah. I've turkey hunted the Devil's Kitchen. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I just went north of town. And that all it took was for me to get on Onyx and just zoom out and find a 60-acre piece of public just north of town mm-hmm. that had one parking lot, mm-hmm. two parking lots on it. Yeah. And that was it. And I guarantee you, I was seeing more, I won't guarantee it, but I will say that my odds of seeing more deer in general went up mm-hmm. as opposed to if so I just you saw went, a lot of deer. A lot of deer. A lot of deer this year. So, yeah, scouting, finding a place to hunt, and then where the hunters are going to be. And you, so you harvested three. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yep, harvested okay, three. Okay, so walk us through that then. Um, so the deer that I shot on public this year was a result of scouting in the fall and knowing my edge, right? Okay. So when I talk about edge, that's just a junction between two distinct land features. In, in the woods. In when the woods. Walking around in the woods right. or a field of woods, so, like an edge. Yeah, so like an easy example would be like a change from row crop agriculture to hardwoods. Okay. Right? That's an edge. That's yeah. what you see on TV, right? Mm-hmm. But another distinct feature would be if I'm in the hardwoods, and I'm along this creek bottom, and it's all of a sudden it switches to this big stand of autumn olive, mm-hmm. right? Or a more honeysuckle. That's something that you and I hunted yeah. over right. the first week in November. We saw mm-hmm. seeing that doe. Yeah. But she was walking that edge. Mm-hmm. And the weekend before that, I was hunting in that same spot. I jumped a big buck on my way in, mm-hmm. but I knew enough. Like he went back into the cover. Okay. And then an hour later, they came back out. So I was able to shoot that deer. Because I knew how to find that edge yeah, along good. along a river, travel corridor, um, and it's those small, distinct edges. Yeah, that takes you good. actually on going in there on foot to notice. So you're not going to notice it from a map. So the the successful side of this year then was you harvested three deer and yep. you your scouting scouting was on point. Scouting's on point, and then knowing your terrain. So what was the negative then? <laughs> the negative was getting over and dealing with buck fever okay like not taking my time because you're in school at the same time yeah and you're thinking i want to be in a stand yeah yeah and i have this tendency to think when a deer comes in this is my only chance Mm -hmm. like i'm not going to have another opportunity the the rest of my life yeah (laughs) it's it's like it's like the free throw in the Mm -hmm. fourth quarter Mm -hmm. you know and it's a tight game like you better make your shot so i would just overthink easy shots so like we practiced this year up to 35 yards right right and i had a doe at like 20 yards and i'm like 
easy money, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then just totally punched it and didn't find the deer. Yeah, it's a bummer. So that was a bummer. And just trying to calm down before the shot. And yeah. Like, my basics were good, but at the same time, like, I just... Well, it's interesting because the year before, you shot a buck at 55 yards. Yeah. Uh, So, from year to year, your your shooting can be um, different. Yeah. But the difference between this past year and the year before was I was practicing, like, every day last summer, the summer before. Well, and you were just out west hunting as well. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're like, shooting, you know, 80 yards if yeah, you have to. Yeah, 60 yards is what I went out to. <laughs> and the elk I shot was 20 yards, 25 yards. Mm-hmm. And when I had that buck came in, come in the previous fall, 55 yards, I mean. And the timber, yeah, it's a pretty far shot, but it was just one ridge over, and I was able to get it. And I, like, I had confidence in my ability. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, relating that back to this past year, just confidence in yeah. general so just be more confident gotcha. in your shot and hold it closer to the shoulder yeah but practice 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 my big yeah. thing this year was seeing the importance of having your bow tuned in absolutely i mean the buck i shot and the, it got away and we even had a dog out there and it ran across the creek and we could never find it i shot it i think it had to have been a liver shot it was it was a pass through yeah and Yet my, my bow was not tuned right, so my arrow was coming out wobbly. So I didn't hit with full force yeah. that deer the, the way I would have if I went to Dunn's the next day. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I got it tuned. Sure enough, it was coming out of there cockeyed yep. and wobbling. And I, I thought as I was watching my arrow fly, and then when I would come up to, to my target, sometimes my, my arrow would be in there crooked. And yeah. when you're doing that, not only are you, are you losing velocity, but you're losing punch power when mm-hmm. your arrow's hitting the target. So the other thing is I, I think if I, I was like one inch back, I mean, if I was or half an inch forward, I would have got, it would have been a double lung shot. The yeah. hike was good. Mm-hmm. And it's so that was my low point this year is shooting yeah. a, a nice three and a half year old buck, high racked, but it yeah. would have been the big, biggest buck I'd, I'd ever shot yeah. and missed it because I wasn't tuned in properly. That was kind of the lowest of the, I called you after that. I was like, <laughs> man, I felt like I was done. Like, yeah. forget it. I'm just done this year and of course you know within you know within 24 hours i'm like ah i need to get back out there yeah but uh so i mean i had highs and lows as well i harvested two Mm -hmm. and the first one was uh with my bow actually no the first one was with my shotgun actually was for shotgun season Mm -hmm. i shot what my whole deal after missing that buck was i'm going to take whatever i see during gun season i don't care what it is first one i see i'm shooting it and it was just a little doe, shot yep. her, Perfect. got you know, like 70 yards away, something like that, got her. And then the next one was I just <laughs> in my yard. I mean, it's comical, yeah. but got to harvest her. I stepped out, and it was about 35 yards away from my front porch and just shot her from my front porch. Yeah. Found her the next morning. Got the freezer full, you know, mm-hmm. but didn't. I did see some really good bucks this year hunting with Ben. Ben was yeah. really good. For me this year... I, I really see the importance of just learning all you can from people. So I learned a ton from you. I yeah. learned a ton from Ben. Some different things. Sometimes you said different things than Ben said, and Ben mm-hmm. said different things than you said. But a lot of really good information that I'm just trying to soak up because I'm still with bow hunting, especially still pretty new to yeah. the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've only shot two deer with my bow, mm-hmm. and uh, so for me, there was definitely highs and lows. But uh, I would say overall, it was just, it was I had a blast. I mean, even the 
times I didn't get deer, just seeing deer. Yeah. And sitting in the stand. Being out in God's creation. Man. It's like, fun. I mean, when we went out, I mean, we yeah, marched was, in, what, a mile and a half in, yeah. into that secret yep. location and, <laughs> yep. and and sat there for, what, 45 minutes maybe? Because yep. we had the time constraints. We had time constraint and we still had a good time. And I always remind myself of this. Like, you're in America. You have the opportunity to go out on public land and cool. harvest a deer. Yeah. Like, there's very few countries in the world where you're you are allowed to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, in the time that I missed that buck, I'd called you and you're like, dude, keep this in mind. This is fun. This is a hobby. Yeah, it's a hobby. You know, yeah. this you, you're not hurting for food. Yeah. You know? Yep. And that was good, too, to show my boys, you know, that this doesn't have to, even though I was bummed, you, you know, it shouldn't, if you miss a deer, it's not the end of the world. No. You know, it really isn't. No. Uh-uh. There's more deer, there's more hunts to come. Yeah. And just, you know, it's just part of it part of it but it's all about having fun okay so deer season's wrapped up what about turkey season you gonna be out yeah, there turkey, tur- season. turkey hunting yeah absolutely okay where are you going um where's your secret location uh, no I'll, uh, I'll share some of that there's a piece of property north of here um the burning star yeah and um that you th- what four thousand acres yeah like yeah four thousand acres i think and i got a tag for that for the first season and i uh, put in for the second lottery so I don't know where I'm going to be hunting after that, Okay. but when I was deer hunting out there, I saw plenty of birds. Well, there's not as much pressure during turkey no, because, season yeah. on public. Well, on that, on that piece, it's a limited entry. Oh, it is. Okay. So, Lord willing, there's not a whole lot of hunters out there, but yeah, there no, are. Tur- turkey hunting is fun. Uh, and, oh, and it's so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I've only got one turkey in my life, but... The time investment is not the same when it comes to time, reward. There's going to be a different stage of life for me where yeah. my kids are a little bit more grown, where it's easier for me to turkey hunt because you got to go out a lot and you get a, you get a turkey and you get one meal out of it. You yeah. Know, you get a deer. Two breasts. You get some drumsticks too. But. Right. And you get you get a deer, you get two or three deer and you got your free, freezer full for the year. For the year. You know? Yeah. And so there is a big difference as far as reward. That's like also with like waterfowl. It sounds so fun, but... It's like for your stamp in Illinois, you end up being like $50, $60, something like that. And, you know, if you get a teal or, or several ducks, you can get a few meals out of it. Mm-hmm. But you really can't get a lot out of it. It's more, it yeah. really is just recreation. It's fun. It is, it's hobby. It is recreation. It's hobby. Yeah, it gets you people know, outside fun. and it yeah. gets people more aware of their backyard. Like these turkeys, they're an amazing creation from God. Like, yeah. They gobble their heads off in the evening, in the afternoon, in the morning, and that's... So what's better, a good gobble or a good bugle from an elk? I would say a bugle from an elk. Never heard it. I've never heard it. It literally vibrates your chest. That loud? That loud. That's incredible. I had that experience my last hunt in Utah with a buddy of mine. And I I thought it was a dinosaur. That's unreal. I guess if you're like in a hollow or something like that, if yeah. you could probably hear it from miles away. If it gets yeah. in the right, you know, sound waves going in the right valleys and ravines and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I'll share that story. If you yeah, want do me it. To. Yeah. Absolutely. So we were on our way back to camp and we had been hunting all day. Most of the day we had heard hunters and we think we heard, we thought we heard one elk. So we're on our way back and we hear this elk on top of the ridge and we're on this like bench, right? And I turn to my buddy and I'm like, dude, there's a guy up there and he's like i don't know that sounds like a real elk like, mm-hmm. whatever so we keep walking like slower and trying to listen to see if it's a guy or an animal and then he he lets off another bugle again and 
I'm like, dude, that that thing sounds really good. <laughs> like, if uh-huh. it's a buddy, if it's our guy, if our buddy's up there, like, he sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. And then before I know it, like, I see this belly and four legs just come like marching oh, down the side gosh. of the hill. And this is our first time ever doing this in this scenario. So mm-hmm. we're trying to get ourselves situated and I'm on the bugle because I've already shot one and my okay. buddy's behind the bow. So I'm behind him. He's in front of me and I've got my bugle tube. And every time he bugles, I'm answering him back. I've got like a log, like I'm beating against a tree uh-huh. to make it sound like of another elk coming after him. Elk are not as skittish as whitetail, correct? Um, more or less. Okay. And it just depends on when you're hunting them. Okay. Like this is the rut for them. So mm-hmm. the bulls are going to be a little bit less timid okay. about coming into a call. But anyway... So he's coming in and he gets to about 50 yards into this meadow and he's doing like that heaving they do Mm -hmm. after a bugle and like I'm about to lose my mind because Mm -hmm. this is how I would have never thought this would happen. I mean intense. Yeah it was intense and he comes around and this is the the sad part of the story because we don't wind up killing this bull. My buddy's in no, front of me. it was me. a nice bull? It was a nice bull. I think it was a 6x6 six six oh, or 5x5. Five five. He comes around to about 30 yards. And our wind is is blowing right towards us. So he's upwind from us when this is happening. But he wants to circle down one because he knows that there's something in there. Mm-hmm. But he wants to get downwind of it because he can't see it yet. Okay. So he eventually circles downwind, and I, from where I'm standing, I have a perfect shot, mm-hmm. but my buddy doesn't, and he eventually circles downwind and busts us. Oh, man. So, amazing experience. Yeah. You'll, Unfortunately, you'll, we weren't able to kill it. The but. cool thing is you'll be able to tell that story when you're 75. Yeah. You know, yep. you'll reflect back on that, remember it, and yeah. be able to tell the story. And hopefully get another chance to go out there. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And that was Utah? Yeah. 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 Utah, like, somebody was just out there, I think, it was a Cam Haynes video or somebody... And they killed a huge, it may have been uh, John Dudley, or uh, mm-hmm. is it John? Yeah. It may have been Dudley that got a really nice bull in Utah, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, But man, that's cool. So then, we'll go back to like the turkey thing. Yeah. Like, so I killed my first uh, Tom in Utah, and I had, I was calling in this Aspen Grove, and I hear, mm-hmm. and it's that, that vibe. Close, close by. Oh, yeah, like 40 yards. And. Like, and you're just sitting there like, not knowing that it's 40 yards away. Yeah, I couldn't see him yet. Until and then gobble. all of a sudden, like, here, I see a red, white, and blue ahead and a snood coming through the woods. And I'm like, there, let's go. And then he hasn't really crossed that line yet, like that 20, 30-yard line mm-hmm. that I felt comfortable in. But, like, I could just see him, like, coming in, like, he's starting to drum. And then, and I was... I was losing my mind, but I knew, like, dude, you got to keep it together because mm-hmm. this is, like, your last spring in Utah. And yeah. Fortunately, God blessed me with a, a turkey at that point. So Man, that is awesome. awesome. So you're going to go out this year. Have you killed one here? No, I have not, unfortunately. Last spring was close. Um, I remember you went out scouting a lot. Went out. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of scouting, found some birds. Um, last year, the opening day was, like, super cold and rainy, but... It was still a really good day. I got on some birds, and unfortunately, I had hens that oh, came really? in, and they pushed them off. So they're uh, hinned up still. And then school came around by the second and third week of the season, and you can't you can only hunt until one. Yeah. And the weird part about last season was the conditions were terrible, 
until 1 p.m. And then after 1 p.m., like, the birds will start lighting up again. Uh-huh. And you can't hunt them. Right, which is a bummer. I wonder why that law is in place in Illinois. I think it's to give the birds a time to rest and a time to reproduce, okay. I think. Did you see the Hunting Public episode where they were down south of yeah. Anna? Yeah, south of down Anna. There. They, they ended up getting one. Somebody stole their their gear. Yeah, and then they put it on yeah, the side of the road. Yeah, and they put it on the side They're of the road. Very weird, very strange. Typical southern Illinois. Yeah, yeah. it's like, why, why in the world <laughs> would you do that? It's just yeah. weird. Uh, I can't see them coming back. Uh, but there's good, I mean, there, there are, I don't know, I didn't see the harvest numbers last year on the turkey, but there, there was a report or something that I saw that, that the turkey population they, they suspect is going down in yeah. Illinois. Have you heard that? Yeah. Across the Southeast. And I'm not sure about Illinois, but I'm sure it's happening here too. There is a significant decline in turkey populations. Um, and there's a lot of significant, diff- significant. Yes. Really? So, and it started in the early two thousands. Right, so 1980s bird numbers are doing great, but then 2000s and so so forth, turkey numbers have gone down, hmm. and they believe it's because of a number of factors. One being um, predators, okay, right, including us. Mm-hmm. But there's also the problem of raccoons. Raccoons killing Ra- turkeys, ra- really. Raccoons stand raccoons. Dude. Eggs, right? Really. So they'll eat the eggs. Possums. You've got hawks. Yep. Colts, you know. Okay. Um, there's also a habitat standpoint, and especially in Illinois and throughout much of the southeast, f- fire has been excluded mm-hmm. from the environment, mm-hmm. right? But this is a naturally fire-dependent system. Okay. We live in the oak hickory hardwoods here mm-hmm. in southern Illinois. Oak, hickory, oak and hickory hardwoods, in order to regenerate, are dependent on fire. Mm-hmm. But fire has been excluded. Okay. okay? Turkeys grew up with fire, right? They need these early successional fire-dependent covers, plant communities, mm-hmm. in order to survive. Okay. 14 weeks before they, and, and so on, too. So, lack of fire, habitat, predators, um, and season structure as well. There might be a change in the legislature to change the season dates, I've heard that. It actually needs to be moved back. Yes, because we're taking out the toms before Mm -hmm. the majority of the hens have been bred. That's right. You want to time your season according to when most of the hens have been bred, and Mm -hmm. then you can select the toms, the harvest toms that can be pulled out. I was listening to Turkey Guy, I think, on Meat Eater a couple years ago that was talking about that. Dr. Michael Chamberlain. I think that's it. Yeah, Yeah, he's a great, great resource. If um, you want, look him up on Facebook. He's got great um, data. On Tuesdays, he calls it Turkey Tuesdays. Okay. He puts out data about Interesting. Um, turkey numbers, turkey behavior. Um, so predators, um, legislation, um, habitat, all those different factors. Climate, if you, if you're a proponent of climate change, you could say that it could be climate change. Um, well, I think yeah. small scale, it's pretty undeniable that there's shifts in, in climate and weather patterns and all yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. So without getting into the, the macro conversation of it as mm-hmm. a whole, at the micro level, certainly there are shifts and changes that can be measured even from decade to decade. Yeah, exactly. And, and that could definitely play. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's places that, uh, you know, when you come to, to ice melts or different places that used to be able to, to grow... Uh, green, lush trees, plants, yeah. gardens that can't now, or that vice vice versa. You know, history tells of times that that you know lakes would freeze over in particular places yep. that don't freeze over now. And so, I mean, it's interesting to think through that kind of stuff. 
Let's mm-hmm. talk about tips and strategies. Yeah. I've got some listeners that have been getting into hunting from listening to the show and being interested. So spring turkey, there is fall turkey hunting in some states, and I know in Illinois there is to a limited degree. But let's uh, think about the, the plan leading up to, let's just say a guy says, I'm going to hunt this this next year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deer hunt. Let's just say they've already done their hunter safety course. They mm-hmm. know about licensing. Uh, just give some, some basics on scouting through the summertime that can help yeah. them go into the fall. Right. So the first thing I would do is download Onyx, download HuntWise, whatever app is out there, um, and know your local area. Know where public land is and know um, some private landowners who might be willing to let you hunt. Because now with public land hunting becoming so popular, there might not be mm-hmm. as many people knocking on doors. So yeah, use those opportunities. There's a well. lot of people that don't have what we have. We actually have a mm-hmm. ton of public around we us. Do. A lot of the state's public is right where we're at. Yep. And a lot of people aren't in that situation mm-hmm. where they may have you know, a population of 150,000 yep. with only... you know. With only a thousand acres of public mm-hmm. around, yeah, you know, yeah. So if you're starting out in the summer, you know, know your public, know your private lands. Um, obviously, you know your regulations, all that good stuff. And um, it's get out and enjoy the woods and scout. Don't just scout from your map. Take mm-hmm. your map with you. Go in the woods. Look at some deer trails. Notice your plant communities, like your oaks and your hickories. Know your white oaks, and then notice some edges. Mm-hmm. Okay. Deer love, they're creatures of the edge. Know your bedding areas. Um, know your food, right? Mm-hmm. So corn, beans, that kind of thing. You can hunt over those if they've got it on public. And um, know the public um, boundary, obviously, mm-hmm. in the parking lots, all that good stuff. And just be creative yeah. about how you're going to hunt this season. It doesn't have to be from a tree stand. It doesn't have to be just from the ground. It can be a variety yeah. of things. So well, then, it's, so that that's a lot of fun because then you can narrow down on your map. Mm-hmm. Okay, edit. <laughs> um, you can narrow down on your map and and know. Okay, there, I've got these options. Yep. And even you know you can play and, and play the wind on particular yeah. ways. Like you know that in this area, if the wind is you know mm-hmm. northeast to southeast, yeah, wind's uh, or northwest to southeast, you know you know. Okay, I'm gonna put put up here, 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 on this edge here, based on yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, know your wind. That's one of the most overlooked aspects of hunting. And I learned that through the years miserably because mm-hmm. I would be like, oh, it's wind. I've got my scent away on. Like, I don't have yeah. to worry about it. But, yeah, know your wind. When you go into Scout, bring bring some Windicator, like mm-hmm. that little powder they put yeah. in a bottle. That's right. Bring that yeah. with you and know how the yeah. wind behaves on a certain condition. Like if I have a south wind, mm-hmm. how is that going to influence the way my wind behaves right. in this draw or on top of this ridge? And the other thing is about private. If you're hunting private, the landowner is a really good resource because mm-hmm. a lot of times they sit and they watch and they yeah. know where the deer are coming from, where they go that and their habits. Of work. Especially early fall, like October. Mm-hmm. I had a landowner tell me one time, like, hey, listen, yesterday morning there was a nice one out, nice yeah. buck sitting out under the oak, the, the big oak. And mm-hmm. so knowing that that's the time of patterns and habit yeah. it was like october the third and i sat out there and sure enough this nice two-year-old deer comes yeah. out uh small I mean, a small buck but i mean it was it you know nice rack on it and yeah. was able to harvest my first deer with a bow mm-hmm. just based on the resources that were given to me from the, the land yeah and yeah. Th- i mean that's critical with, with private mm-hmm. private is so much easier than public because you have all that information right there yeah you know, they've, they've been watching. You know, this guy, for instance, just sits up and drinks coffee and watches in his backyard all the time. He's got 100-something <laughs> yep. acres, 
and he just sees where they're going. He's like, yeah, yeah. Nick, tomorrow morning, sit over there. You know, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'll do that. Yeah. And uh, so the the getting the time in the woods time is the critical. Woods, yeah. And then shooting, too. I mean, you, if, you're, if you're bow hunting, Shoot you need to be practicing day. through the summer. Yeah, almost every day and practicing from a tree stand if you can. Mm-hmm. Because I promise you that it's different. <laughs> Otherwise, like, ah, oh, it's no different. Like, you're shooting from a platform on the ground, whatever. But it's so different. Yeah. And you want to know how to shoot in that moment because you're not going to be thinking about your practice in the summer. Yeah. You're going to be thinking about where should I put that pin and I need to squeeze that trigger. And mm-hmm. all of that should be second nature Yeah. by the time deer season rolls around. That's good. So I was just helping a guy out last weekend and we were going over the basics of the bow, of bow hunting and skill. And it's just like any other sport. Like you know those fundamentals and you practice them over and over again. Yeah. I promise you, you will be better. And I'm not worried about, you know, getting a one-inch group at mm-hmm. 50 yards yeah. right now. I'm worried about my consistent form. Yeah. And a basketball player, a football player, a baseball player is going to tell you the exact same thing. Well, even people like Navy SEALs are coming back. My cousin was a SEAL, mm-hmm. and he talked about – I had an episode actually on with him. and He talks about after you're deployed, after you go on a special mission, you come back, Mm-hmm. And you're back to basics. You, you're shooting your your firearm, your sidearm at, at seven yards, mm-hmm. and you're shooting thousands of rounds, seven to ten yards away. Yep. And it's just basics, basics, yeah. basics, basics. Repeat that over and over and over again. Yeah. And then over the years, you know, you you come back and you, certainly you're you're probably especially during turkey season, you're, unless you're bow hunting with a turkey, you're gonna have a few months where you probably got the bow down. You're out yeah. fishing, especially if you like to fish. I fish in the spring, and then I'll pick up the bow. I'll pick a bow back up really in probably June, July, Yep. I'll start shooting again, where I'm heavy fishing up until mm-hmm. that point. Love fishing through the spring. And and then start picking it up. Well, probably when you're over. You know, yeah. if you're here in the summertime, I think you might be heading back north. But mm-hmm. uh, when school starts back in the fall, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, late August, we're Oh, up in a tree stand shooting yeah, from that point. Definitely. Yeah. Man, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of good things to reflect on in the season and then look forward to for next season. Absolutely. But the big encouragement is just get out there and you can have a lot of fun. And especially, you know, Drew and I are in different stages of life. So he has more time to actually go out and scout yeah. and be out in the woods more than I do. But when you have your children, bring them in bring on this, yeah. bring them, bring them yeah. along the way. You know, there's opportunities to do that. And uh, it's just so much fun. It's So the off season provides opportunities to do things that the season got, you know, deer season doesn't provide. Yeah. And it's to, you know, to think through like even shed hunting is fun. Yeah, you we're, can be out there. You can still be out you there. You can make a bunch of noise. You're not worried yeah. about leaving scent. You're right. if you bring your kids out, they can be as loud as they want. They can ask right. a ton of questions. It's fun. It's awesome. Well, dude, this has been a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be a lot, a lot of help to a lot of people. So, good. if you guys have enjoyed this, please leave a rating review or share this. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. We've been talking to Drew Snyder. Drew, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah.